You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and usually when we have five Tuesdays in the month we run with a second helping show when you get the chance to hear once again some previously aired interviews. Well, this evening, because today is Lammas Fair Day in Ballycastle, County Antrim, I thought it would be appropriate to play you the radio documentary Devlin's Yellow Man, A Taste of Childhood. But before we run with that, let's give a shout out to events taking place during the Pigtown Food Series, which is taking over Limerick in an exciting celebration of Limerick's food culture. It's inspired by the history of Limerick's famous bacon industry and it's developed by the Limerick Food Group and supported by Fulcher Ireland. The series will focus on Limerick's unique heritage as a way to showcase the great food available locally, building on their deep-rooted food heritage. So some of the events that are featuring include the Culture Night Pig Parade, Beyond the Pig, Veganism in a Meat Eater's World panel discussion, Ancient Irish Food, Where Did Our Ancestors Grow, Pick and Catch. There's a lecture and discussion and urban foraging walks by local author and ethnobotanist Teresa Story. Teresa's been on the programme here a few times. Valerie O'Connor's Pig in the City Food Trail, a pig town tasting menu produced by students of LIT's Food and Tourism Department and the Apprentice Pig Town Style, which is hosted by Garrett's Butchers, where Limerick Butcher Apprentices will compete against visiting international craft butcher apprentices to be crowned the Pigtown Champion. Now, these events are taking place across September and October and you'll get all the details on pigtown.ie. Another event during the two months which might be of interest to you is local historian and author Tom Toomey will give a lecture on the food history of the city, Pigtown roots, ranks and Cleese factories, their rise and downfall, followed by a panel discussion with Joe Hayes of the Limerick Pork Butcher Society. Then no festival in Limerick would be complete without something happening in the milk market and the popular Saturday morning demos that are taking place there will have a pig and harvest flavour in butchery skills and cooking with everything from Limerick style pulled pork to the pig from nose to tail, preserving the harvest and sausage making and the demonstrations are given by a host of Limerick producers, chefs and food writers. There's also a farm visit to O'Brien Artisan Cheese in Ballyhahal to hear tales of Jim O'Brien's 20 years in the pig trade before becoming a cheesemaker and a pig's tail ceramic exhibition hosted by Limerick ceramic artists as well as UL Drama Society's performance of the acclaimed Pig Town by Limerick playwright Mike Finn. It certainly is a jam-packed two months and restaurants and hotels across Limerick will be embracing the theme featuring Pigtown specials and events including the Pig Celebration Gourmet Evening by Chef Tim Harris at Number 1 Perry Square and a nose-to-tail tasting dinner at the Limerick Strand Hotel by Chef Tom Flavin. There will be a Limerick Pigtown Neighbourhood Fest taking place in partnership with the 95 Stop Tour Charity Drive encouraging street picnics throughout the county. Some of the city's attractions, it says here, are hot to trot to, with the Frank McCourt Museum incorporating a Limerick ham tasting and pin the tail on the pig children's game. And primary schools are being urged to get involved with the aim of getting Limerick's children interested in food heritage and culture with posters, colouring pig masks for the pig parade and craft ideas all to be available. So we're definitely going to be spoilt with a huge programme of events and you should definitely visit pigtown.i. For details.
So coming up now, it's Devlin's Yellow Man, A Taste of Childhood. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Devlin's Yellow Man, A Taste of Childhood was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Devlin Yellow Man is so interesting to me because it's all about the people. The more we highlight that Ireland does actually have a food history and a food culture, the better it is, and Yellow Man fits perfectly into that. In Ballymun, you had Devlin, she made Yellow Man, and you had McKeown's. And those two families had their own recipes that they stuck to, and I mean, McKeown's never passed theirs on, and we have never passed ours on. Do you remember the scene in Disney's Ratatouille? when the restaurant critic tastes Remy the Rat's ratatouille and is transported back in time to his childhood. There is one taste that does this to me, and it's Devlin's Yellow Man. Growing up in Ballymena, County Antrim, during the 70s and 80s, every Sunday and summer was spent at my grandmother's house with the rest of my family, the Devlins, making Devlin's Yellow Man using a secret recipe. We were making it for the Lammas Fair in Ballycastle, County Antrim, an annual fair that takes place on the last Monday and Tuesday in August. My earliest memories of making Devlin's Yellow Man involve warm summer days when a huge cauldron of dangerous hot orange lava would bubble in a makeshift campfire in the back of my grandmother's house in Hill Street, Ballymena. I return there with my father, Tony Devlin, who is the eldest living member of the Devlin family. It's all changed out here. It looks smaller, it feels smaller. But what you have to realise is that Yellow Man was a homemade toffee. And so it was made in the home. This is where they lived. Uh, and they adapted this to be able to make the Yellow Man in. They had one of the stores over there had a range in it, and that's where the Yellow Man was boiled. And then the one beside it was where they poured it out, and they had uh, an assortment of so called frying pans and, and griddles that you would have made. Uh, whom we had bread on to kill it enough so as they could handle it. And then the other one was where it was pulled uh, over a big hook or a cleek and put into boxes and stored. And that also was their cold store for the fruit. So that kept it nice and firm and clean and everything. And that was basically where it was made. Can you remember them showing you how to pull it? No, I just remember growing up and they would have been making it and you know when could I pull it but you had to be you didn't need to be a certain height to be able to reach up to the hook and that there and uh, but you had other jobs to do before that there um, they, those, those pans and those griddles had to be uh, every time the, when the yellow mom was uh, the, the, the syrup would have been taken off it um, they had to be greased and then dusted up with flour so you started off in that job there and then as you got older you you got to the main job, which was a pulling, so it was. Hard you know. work, I'd say. Yeah, very, very hard, because they would have made up to a ton of it to have taken to, to uh, Bally Castle. So you can imagine that was all been boiled up, maybe at seven or eight pounds, weight at a time, and cooled and pulled. So it was, it was very labour-intensified. And you had to work quite quickly with it when you were pulling it? A certain amount of time, um, because it started to cool, but you had to get the colour into it, so you had to get it over the cleek as fast as you could and get the colour into it. And then, obviously, there was a stage then it was packed in a, into boxes and put in the cold store. Why did they start making it? That was made as a, as a substitute because they couldn't get enough fruit uh, 
in the winter, in the summertime, sorry. Um, we're dependent for it coming from the southern hemisphere, from South Africa, from Australia, from New Zealand. Obviously, it wasn't as plentiful as we would have liked and was much more expensive. Plus, the quality wasn't as good because it was the, the containerization. The ships hadn't the same uh, refrigeration. So this was a substitute. You have sold dulse, yellow man. They would have made hard nuts. The women would have made the hard nuts. They were like a gingerbread uh, biscuit. Uh, and then they, they, they bought, uh, they talked about lemonade and sold that as well. So they had, and that was how they made a living. In the spring, they would have went to um, the county dairy. It was very good for people growing early plants. That was cabbage, like kale, and then they would have sold it around County Antrim to farmers. They would have grown that to have fed the uh, sheep and cattle and that. Um, obviously, the farming has changed now too. It's much more scientific. But it was all just different ways of earning a living, and that's what they were at. They were sort of like, I suppose, hawkers in a way. But they had the same farms that they went to all the time if they were selling kale plants or if they were selling fruit and, and, and that in the winter time. And then when they were at the fairs, those same farmers and their wives would have been over buying off them, so they went. And that was like a sort of an industry and its own. As a child, to me, the Lammas Fair was synonymous with Devlin's Yellow Man. I believed the two went hand in hand, and selling fruit was very much a secondary exercise during the two days despite that being the core family business going back over a hundred years. I return home with my father to look at old photographs of family members at the Lammas Fair, starting with a photograph of Bernard Devlin, who we believe to be my father's great-great-grandfather. He was the first man to make and sell yellow man, and he came from the crab tree in Arbo. Arbo is in the county Tyrone. He married a lady called Bridget Clark, who was from Ballycastle. They're both buried in Ballycastle, so they are. There was also uh, Elizabeth McCambridge. She died in December 1931. Her parents were John McCambridge and Margaret Devlin, which was the same Devlins. There was. He actually died uh, in America. He died in New Orleans. He was. Uh, he took yellow fever while he was on the run as a United Irishman. He used to live in Castle Street, Palomina, where the McEwans lived. And that's the photograph there of Bernard Devlin and Bridget Clark. Now, I know this photograph because this is me with your mother, my grandmother. Yeah, that's my Aunt Kate, my mother. And Joe, my sister. Yeah, and yourself. And that's a very young you, Dad, isn't it? Is it is indeed, yeah. Very, very young me. I was probably 18 and that. But that there, that photograph shows you the way, you know, it was layered into the boxes. Mm. Sarchi Devlin, that's John's father, at the Lammas Fair. It's been great reminiscing with my dad by visiting Hill Street and looking at the old photographs. And very interesting that Devlin's Yellow Man was invented as an income generator for times of the year when there wasn't access to the fruit and veg usually sold. It makes me proud that the Devlin name has, for more than 100 years, been at the forefront of the fruit and vegetable industry, and my parents have one remaining shop in Brashean County Antrim. It's run by my dad's cousin, John Devlin, Archie Devlin's son, and I'm heading there now. I can remember 1980. I would have been 15 at the time. It was my school holidays, and the herrings would have been done during the week, and Sunday was always a special day in the summer. It was kept for Megan Yellow Man. It was a family tradition of the Devlins. 
dating back to my grandfather, Joe Devil, who originally came from County Tyrone. And Ballymena, as everyone knows, was called Toffee Town because of the Yellow Man. The three families that were involved with the Yellow Man were the Devlins, the McKeowns, and the Agnews. And somehow or other, they're all related through each other. And Yellow Man was, uh, you had to be very careful with this Yellow Man. My aunt, uh, Katie Devlin, she would have did the boiling for the yellow man. And it had to be at the right temperature. And then it was poured onto uh, griddles. Hope I'm not telling too many family secrets now. And then when it was did, it was like a light sort of brownish syrupy color. And it had to be pulled over hooks now. These stainless steel hooks, they could come in from Sheffield. They had to be the special hooks. And the yellow man then was pulled over the, the hooks until it became like a whitish colour. And at that stage then, when it, it got a bit hard, it was pulled off the hooks and it was put into boxes. The yellow man came as a scent that it was started off soft and then it, it like, got like concrete, I would say. And it wasn't in bags or pre-packed, which it would be nowadays, and it was broken by a hammer in a steel box that was put in and it had to be kept with a bit of a flour around the side of it so it didn't stick to it. That was the whole thing about the yellow man, the one that you see it being broken up. It was like a, a military operation for the, this yellow man. It wasn't just your ordinary confectionery bit you would get. Big bits that were sold mainly in, by the pound. To, nowadays it's all grams and uh, kilograms. Those days it was pounds and half pounds. It was 50 pence a pound in those days, 10 shillings. And I remember uh, my father, Archie, saying uh, people would have queued up to get him to autograph the bags that the yellow man was in. And that's what he lived for. For the Lammas Fair for him in Ballycastle on the bank holiday in August and Mon last Monday and Tuesday, that would have been like a Christmas day for him. If nothing else mattered to him, that was his. He lived for the Lammas Fair. The Monday morning would have been at 6 o'clock. You wouldn't have got much sleep in the Sunday because you were very excited about getting to it and getting down onto the diamond in Ballycastle when there wasn't as many stalls as what there possibly would be uh, now. And I remember our stalls were in number 24 and 25. And as I said to you earlier, the McEwans and the Ignews was the stalls in the diamond because that's where the Lammas Fair originated from in Ballycastle. People actually come into the shop to me here and would ask me about uh, Yellowman. But there's only one place you can get them, Yellowman, would be in Hill Street in Ballymena. There would be nothing like what the real yellow man was. And maybe someday we'll maybe go back to Ballycastle and do the yellow man. Well, it's not a 6am start for me like John would remember going to the Lammas Fair, but that's where I'm headed today to meet one man in particular who I've heard remembers the Devlins. My name's Terry Dempster, come from Ballymena. We're here at the fair here for 37 years. Archie Devlin, uh, Harry McKeown and Willie New sat in the diamond for years and years gone by. They're all gone now. Ballymena people always supported the Lammas Fair. The yellow man is like a rock, a yellow hard rock. Uh, the people boiled it up in the stoves away years ago like a toffee. And they sold it outside their doors to feed their family. We have the honeycomb that come in, in uh, later in, in years, and it's like a puff candy, a uh, crunchy bar, which is very easy uh, crunched up. 
but the other man you have to do a bit of sucking now because that's very, very hard. Everybody can make honeycomb. Anybody can make honeycomb in their uh, own kitchen, you know. Nobody knows what the yellow man, what the recipe is. You know, you know about the, the tater bread and the sodas, but you'll never find the recipe of the yellow man. It's definitely been a nostalgic day for me walking around the stalls in the diamond in Ballycastle. There's yellow man galore there, not the yellow man that I know. And it was interesting to hear Terry Dempster describing the difference between yellow man and honeycomb because like Terry, to me they're chalk and cheese, two completely different products. And side by side, the, the difference in the two is blatantly obvious. However, I often see yellow man on menus and when it's served, it is what I know as honeycomb. That happened most recently in the mustard seed at Echo Lodge in Ballangarry, County Limerick. Kerry-born chef John Fitzmaurice was its creator on that occasion and I'm going to call now to see him at Malochny's in Dublin to find out where he first heard about Yellow Man. Thanks very much. My earliest memory of Yellow Man would be when I was in Aloes in the Stall. Um, it was Armel White who was the owner we were making honeycomb one day for, um, we used to do a team night on a Thursday night, so we were doing Irish or something like that, and um, we were making honeycomb, and Armel went through the whole thing like about how up north it's called Yellowman and about the festival, and da, da, da. And then I didn't really think any more of it until I went to college, and then in college we came across it again and we did, what were we doing? We were doing a f function for some American lecturers or something like that. And uh, the dessert was yellow man parfait, and there was Irish mist in, like, basically it was Irish, just trying to make something really Irish. And um, the lecture was actually from the north, so that was the connection. And then I started putting on menus, so I would put on the aloes menu, and I used to do it in the mustard seed. I used to do weird things with the mustard, I did a bit of pumpkin custard once, and white chocolate sorbet, and things like that. Because um, it's very versatile, it's... As far as I know, honeycomb is crisper and yellow man is just that little bit chewier. But I presume it's probably like one of those... We all hear stories of like when you go to northern Italy and you go from village to village where like they'll have the same pasta but it's completely different and there's only like five miles in the difference between the villages. They'll all have a different way of making it. Yellow man is probably very like that. The different people have different methods and different interpretations of it. I make it the same way I was taught day one. So I use golden syrup, honey, brown sugar. Um, we always put vinegar in, cause just because of the reason when you're putting in the bread soda at the end, the vinegar reacts with the bread soda and you get a, a larger honeycomb. You get a larger rise in it, that's just, and um, so you put in a little bit of vinegar and that's it. It's really easy. You boil, you put the honey, the sugar and the golden syrup into a pot. We have the vinegar in at the start as well and then when it comes up to the correct temperature you just you just tip in the um, bread soda and the big thing is it rises a lot so it'll like it'll quadruple in size inside in the pot so you have to use a really really big pot and it is the worst type of burn you can possibly get. <laughs> I've got this spatter of it once and it's just it's because it's like we've all got burned from boiling water and steam and things like that but this is like you're talking 150 odd degrees by the time you're actually done with it so it's it's intense. 
we don't appreciate our food culture or our food history as a nation as much as we should do. We think we don't have any food culture that goes beyond spuds and bacon and cabbage. That's as far as we think. So when you find things like, like Yellow Man, um, <clears throat> it's Irish, it's traditionally Irish. Why would you say honeycomb? Why don't you just call it Yellow Man and go with it? We should be using more of these things. We should be using more of like, you know, we've all seen people getting in boudin noir from the south of France. Why don't we use dracine more often? Which is something that's completely Irish and griddle bread and things like that. You know, they say that bla is the only completely native Irish bread, but griddle bread has to be close to it as well. Um, so that's my whole ethos. Like, the more we highlight that Ireland does actually have a food history and a food culture, the better it is, and Yellow Man fits perfectly into that. Chef John Fitzmaurice is definitely responsible for renewing my interest in Yellow Man. And we've one celebrity chef in Northern Ireland to thank for bringing it to worldwide attention. I'm here at the five-star Loch Earn Resort in County Fermanagh to meet Chef Noel McMeal, who featured Yellow Man ice cream on the menu enjoyed by the world leaders, including President Barack Obama, present at the G8 Summit in 2013. Noel is going to share his memories about the Lammas Fair and show me how he makes his Yellow Man honeycomb using the recipe from his cookbook, Irish Pantry. Okay, this honeycomb that I'm actually making, right, is really got not just honey, because some people in Yellow Man just only use honey. So in this here, that I've got glucose, honey, I've got sugar. Now the sugar is just granulated sugar, not brown sugar. Some people like to use brown sugar because it tints the colour. So I'm, I'm actually going to boil this to about 150. So that's what the, where I get the colour from. So I th and then I'll, I'll have some small bit of water to bring it at the last minute, right, to kind of air, to bring air into it, right? I'm adding baking soda. As I said before, some people, other people may think baking powder, but I have always used baking soda in this recipe. Is glucose the same as syrup? Syrup, okay. yes, and it's clear. So I'm just kind of lighting, just getting the pan on. So what you want to do is you want to get the pan warmed Nicely warmed, and then you can start. I'm going to start and put in some of the some of the items. So we've got nice of my honey. Depending uh, on your taste, some people can use uh, nice honey from from nice mountain honey. It's just all about the taste itself, right? This here is just a, a, it's a beautiful local honey that we've got. It's not got it's not heather. It's not got any of them flavours all into it. And you can see the nice colour, you can see the nice tints in it as it's changing, as it, as it, as it cooks through. So once we're nearly ready, once we're nearly ready to put in the last thing, which is your baking soda, you're going to see like a fizz. And that's when you want to really make sure that your baking soda is kind of dispersed evenly into it and it's mixed in. And, and thirdly, really, is to make sure you get it onto a pan as quickly as possible. So you don't want to... The bubbles is what you really want to keep. So when it really... You can feel this kitchen that we're in at the minute is kind of coolish. Mm. So that's really, really good. It's a nice temperature for this. So as you can see, we're seeing 
a nice temperature and now we're going to just check this temperature you can really smell it now whenever you tipped it up there yeah and the smell that i can actually smell into it i can smell the honey and i don't want it to keep cooking and this is one of the things most of all is that by cooking and cooking and cooking it's when it's the color is changing as you can see along the sides here along the sides here you can see that brown tint as such we really are so so near to I have it at 144, okay. so we're, we're really bringing it up to 150. So, as you see the nice color. Uh, do you hear that? Oh, wow. I love that. Okay, so now I'm gonna pour it nicely all on. Mm. And the color, color is fantastic. I, I, I absolutely love making making this. And it's just, when it just, it doubles in its weight. The color is quite amazing. And lots of air pockets. So much air pockets. Do you, I've been honest with you, it really fascinates me every time because it's like foam, it's like creating foam. Once you've got this liquid that's bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and then it changes colour and then you add the baking soda to it and it just all of a sudden you just you mix it slightly with your, your stainless steel spoon and it starts bubbling and bubbling and bubbling like foam just comes bigger and bigger and bigger all you have to do then is once you've mixed it quickly get it onto a tray that's the, the secret most of all is because you'll see it slightly and as the bubbles you as it cools down the great thing about it is it, it's, it's, it'll kind of sink slightly, but you can smell that. We're going to leave this roughly for about 20 minutes. Okay. My first memories of Yellow Man is going to um, a fair. And my first fair was where I'm from. I'm from Toombridge in County Antrim. And all the family, we were always so excited because the fair itself always was on a Saturday and a Sunday. So it was about getting into a small Volkswagen Beetle, eight of us, to go down to a fair and to walk along the road where there was like uh, stalls on either side. And one of the, the greatest ones was like getting my father a present. And, my fa and we, we were given either money. So what were we, were we going to spend that money on? And the money that we would spend on was on Dulce and Yellow Man. That's what he loved most of all. And that was really the, the flavours between savoury and uh, something, not just savoury, but sweet and sour in, in some ways. So the yellow man was always in big pieces. So he had to have great teeth for that. So I think that was one of my earliest memories of yellow man. Now, this is what, what we've got now. Something that's a bit, a, a bit darker than yellow as such right and it's all very much aerated right it's not very much like what we perceive as fudge or or whatever it's it's very different some people would say god it looks very much like a crunchy bar only without chocolate 
But for me, as a chef, you know what I mean, I've always thought about this thing in that bag that was kind of big. It was broken up probably by, by a big hammer and it was very crunchy and aerated and the colour of it. So this is just something that I've kind of thought of as yellow man. So we're just going to break some of it. I just love the whole brittle bit off it. So it really is like very aerated, nice colour. Mmm. I could eat this all day, but I don't think it's a good idea because I mightn't have any teeth at the end of it. And is this the type of yellow man you would have used in the ice cream at the G at Summit? Yeah, I think that was one of the, the, the things that by making your own yellow man, everything had to be made because it's all it really is all about that. And uh, I, do I make it to put into the ice creams now? Actually, no. I actually buy in the ice cream. And I have to be honest that, okay, it's, it's a five-star resort, but I can honestly tell you that some of the best ice cream is coming from a guy in Newton Ards called Will Taylor. And his ice cream, glass tree ice cream, is probably one of the best ice creams I've tasted in the whole of Ireland. So why would I not have it on? And why should I make it? I am now able to tell all my customers that I buy some of the best ice cream in the world and it's coming from somewhere up the road. I actually love this with her. Some people, not canopies, we call it savoury tasters. While in Rome do this with the Romans, right? So, and goat's cheese, I actually love it with the yellow man on the top of it. I just love that whole flavour of something like, you know, the boiling goat's cheese that by my time was some, some, some of the yellow man just small bits broken on top of it. It's just quite an amazing taste. Mm. And it's lovely to think of this here. Years ago, we would never would have put items like that together. And now we've got all of these great, great flavours. Because you imagine you're getting a pure, smooth kind of uh, cheese, like the boilie, and then you get this bit of uh, yellow substance on the top of it, right? A deep uh, golden thing on the top. And all of a sudden, when you bite into it, you've got the smooth, and then you've got the crispiness. And it's just like, it's like being at Disneyland. Well, I have a little crunch here, will I? Delicious. But not the same as Devlin's Yellow Man. Having revealed that he often uses the award-winning Yellow Man Honeycomb ice cream from Glastry Farm... I take Noel's advice and journey north to Kirkuppen in County Down to meet dairy farmer Will Taylor. I sit down with Will to find out how this award-winning product came about. Yellow Man Honeycomb Ice Cream uh, from Blastery Farm is uh, one of the success stories of uh, our range of flavours. We done our market research in 205. Uh, the feedback that we were getting from that market research was that um, the customers that were interviewed were expressing a, a desire to have local products. Uh, they were looking for some sort of provenance 
uh, they were prepared to pay a very small premium uh, if they had something that emanated from the island or from the, the region. So that prompted us then uh, at the end of 205, beginning of 206, to do a sort of a resume of what sort of local products that we could put into a range of ice creams that would be totally different from uh, the market leaders like uh, ben, the American influence, the cookies and cream uh, influence. And uh, one of the first ones we came up with was Yellow Man. And uh, we found a, a, a manufacturer of Yellow Man who claimed to have a recipe that they wouldn't part with for their right arm. And uh, we've in fact been using that recipe ever since. We, we buy it directly from them and uh, incorporate it into our ice creams. So we've been at that now for 10 years. Honeycomb, the traditional yellow man, is a, is a non-porous, fairly solid, chunky type of uh, product uh, as distinct from honeycomb, which is a much more porous uh, uh, product. Uh, our requirement in terms of uh, the product is that uh, obviously no e-numbers, no colorants, no additives. So, so what we put in is uh, entirely pure and natural. Uh, I understand from our supplier that the two recipes are basically the same but uh, as I say ours ours is a much more chunky uh, uh, product. Today my journey takes me to the source of the yellow man used in Glastry Farm ice cream. Aunt Sandra's candy factory in Belfast makes an amazing array of confectionery. I meet Jim Gilmore who explains how they make their version of yellow man. A lot of people ask, what is the difference between honeycomb and yellow man? Well, basically, honeycomb is much puffier and slider, and it would melt in your mouth, while yellow man would be like a crunchy candy. And but yellow man is what we make for the Lambus Fair every year down in Ballycastle. And it's a very, very old traditional candy. More so in the north than, than in the south, because I've asked people from Southern Ireland, have they ever heard of it? A lot of people say, no, they haven't. Uh, well, most people in the north would know it. And, but we put baking soda into the honeycomb, which gives it the rise, that's what makes the bubbles, like in the crunchy bar, where we put vanilla essence into the yellow man, and then we put the natural natural yellow colour in, which gives you the, that's what's called yellow man. Well, I don't know why it's called yellow man, but it's, it's always been called yellow man, you know. We put sugar in, we put glucose in, we put water in, we boil it up to a particular temperature, and um, then we take it off the, off the heat. But it, it holds the heat for a long time. It's actually um, very, very, very hot, very dangerous when you're, you're making it because it's, it's about double the temperature of boiling water. And virtually everybody here has been burnt at some, usually just once. <laughs> After that, then they remember not to get burnt again. Putting that onto the spike, which is on the wall here. And then he'll, he'll stretch it, and then you'll see it starting to change color. It'll go from, what well, it's nearly, translucent with a little bit of yellow through it. You can see it's starting to change colour. It was just like a really dark brown. Now the more he stretches it, the more the colour mixes through with the glucose and the sugar and so on. And it starts to get lighter and lighter. And you keep doing that. 
but you can see that it is hard work. It's a young man's game, to be honest with you. I couldn't do it. Keeping the friction in it, and the friction's creating the heat. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to stretch it. You're only stretching on the hook now. There's a lot of people have the machines now, and you see them turning like so. Like they do with the bread and the dough and so on. You see it's actually starting to shine. The more he stretches it, well then the more the shinier it gets. And also the harder it's getting as well. He's actually fighting against time to try to get as much stretch as possible before it becomes solid candy. And if you get it wrong when you're beat, because it's not like chocolate where you can melt it down and use it again. It just, um, if you get it wrong, you've got it wrong and it's just thrown out. Again, there you can see the colour now, it's much, much brighter. And then what he'll do, he'll make it, we call them cow pots, he'll make it into a circle. And um, that's why we, we sell it. We would sell quite a lot of it to the Lambus Fair, uh, um, a lot of the traders, and then they break it up themselves and bag it up. We also bag it up ourselves and we sell it, sell it to Jan's Causeway now, they take it, and a few other places. And But the, the actual, the yellow man, unfortunately, it, it isn't as popular as the honeycomb because I think the honeycomb is a wee bit easier to eat. Uh, and probably also because the honeycomb is now being used with ice cream and so on, you know. To be quite honest, that is not the colour that yellow man should be. It's, um, and it, it's really, I don't like making it that colour. The, the unfortunate thing is, I was told whether this is true or not, that um, there, was, there was a shortage of something or other a lot of years ago. And um, they got some place, a big multi multinational sort of massive factory to make um, the yellow man for them and that's the colour they made it but because they had the powers to be able to distribute it everywhere then if you make it now in the old sort of like khaki colour honeycomb colour um, people won't buy it because they think it's not yellow man because they're now used to this colour so we're being forced into doing something that we'd rather not do interesting to meet Jim there at Aunt Sandra's candy factory and it's made me wonder about the commercial viability of making Devlin's Yellow Man. My version that I make using the secret recipe bequeathed to me by my grandmother and my great aunt Katie, it's very different to Honeycomb and up until now I thought that everyone knew and recognised the difference between Yellow Man and Honeycomb but that's definitely not the case. And Honeycomb, in many instances, it's sold under the name Yellow Man. So, as I don't have too far to travel into Belfast city centre, I'm going to call into Michelle Lestis at the Good Food and Wine Company, where award-winning artisan food, including Yellow Man, is sold. We produce Yellow Man under our recipe. The recipe is a very traditional uh, recipe that would have been around many years ago uh, around the North Coast and around the Lammas Fair. Um, that said, we've had to look at what was traditionally there and known as Yellow Man and work with that to bring it, I suppose, into some extent into the 21st century in terms of the customer base that we would have. So traditional Yellow Man would have been traditionally a very local Lammas Fair product. 
when we expose ourselves, we send some of that product to Sweden, for example, in our wholesale business. And you have to work with the customer who is maybe not familiar with the recipe. They're familiar with honeycomb. And where can you meet in the middle? So our recipe is probably not as traditional as it would have been, but we've tried to keep as much of the ambience of the Illaman as possible. We've also had to consider the shelf life, um, and we've also had to consider the tastes of customers who wouldn't traditionally have been around the Lamisphere. We have four different Yellowman products. Um, the traditional Yellowman, obviously, that you would see is the type of honeycomb uh, that you would be used to. And then we also decided to cover them in three different chocolates. We have a white chocolate, a dark chocolate and a milk. Um, and again, for various tastes now, you can imagine that the white chocolate product is extremely sweet. Um, it's popular, but extremely sweet uh, because you have the combination of the very sweet white chocolate. Um, really, our, our most popular one is the milk chocolate. So we have a sort of a... And we do have a following now, there's no doubt about it, in the centre of Belfast, even in a short space of time, we would have customers who come in for the Yellow Man. Um, and they all have their own uh, preferences. Uh, and people tend to um, come back for the, the one they prefer. The recipe is fairly secret and we keep that close to our chest because we do invest an awful lot in our recipes and trying to get them right and trying to adapt them for the customer base. So, um, but anyway, you have to taste it and try it. <laughs> As I return to Limerick, I consider the conversations I have had. The Devlin's Yellow Man recipe is a secret. So if a decision is made, to make and sell it commercially, how can I protect it? I'm optimistic that solicitor Rosa McMahon, who is also a European trademark and designs attorney, will be able to enlighten me. Hello. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, thanks. The challenges when patenting a recipe are probably that it's almost impossible to patent a recipe. A patent protects what you might call an invention and there has to be an inventive step which isn't obvious uh, and most recipes would fall at one of those hurdles either because it is not inventive it's not something that's new and it might be obvious it mightn't be obvious to the ordinary member of the public but to a chef or a confectioner they might think that the combination of ingredients is obvious what can be patented are ingredients uh, and in food stuffs, usually what you will see patents for is uh, processes, techniques in manufacturing. So it might actually be a machine. Uh, and for example, if you did a patent search in Ireland for uh, cola, you would find a range of patents for either packaging, cans, handles for plastic bottles, things like that, or dispensing machines. But you won't find a recipe for cola or for coke or anything like that. So my advice to you looking into Devlin's Yellow Man is to, to research uh, the branding, the copyright, the trademarks that you might be able to use, whether you might be able to register them. There's a lot of research you can do yourself uh, using Google primarily, but also the Irish Patents Office have a good database and the European Union has a good database where you can just put in search terms yourself and you can see what logos people have registered, what names they have registered, whether there's anything there that will cause difficulty for you that might change the direction 
in how you package it or market it. Uh, and a lot of time can be spent at the outset doing that at a relatively low cost, but it can solve a lot of problems down the line and avoid conflicting with other people. With Ross's advice in mind, I recall what others have suggested along my journey. What would I do with a recipe that has been in my family for years and years and years? It's a bit like some of your jewellery. There's no point keeping it, being honest with you, it's no point keeping it uh, really locked away. I feel that you need to share it in some ways. And I think it'd be lovely to showcase it of what it is and be able to um, show it to the world. Well, let's put it this way. If, uh, if there's... Uh, a lot of money in it, uh, you hold on to it with your life. If you give it up, then you've no control. You're going to let somebody use your name, then you're going to lose control of it. Good luck to them at selling Yellow Man, but don't be calling it Devlin's Yellow Man, because it's not Devlin's. The taste of Devlin's Yellow Man to me is the perfect reminder of my childhood. I'm not sure if I'm ready to divulge the secret recipe, but I know I want my children to enjoy the flavours that I was fortunate enough to enjoy. Where are we going today, everybody? They may not be Devlin's in name, but I suspect my grandmother and grand-aunt Katie, who shared the secret recipe for Devlin's Yellow Man with me, would give me their blessing to pass it on.
Devlin's Yellow Man, A Taste of Childhood, was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Produced by Sharon Noonan, edited by Danny Kremen. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Tonight's programme has featured the BAI-funded radio documentary Devlin's Yellow Man, A Taste of Childhood, because today was Lammas Fair Day in Ballycastle in County Antrim. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've missed any of the documentary, you can find it in full on SharonNoonan.com. Until next week's Best Possible Taste, take care and bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>